Previously on the Adventure Zone, you've been able to withstand the thrall of each of the relics that you've faced so far, and that is commendable, but there, there's no power and no treasure more seductive than that which the Temporal Chalice presents. It will tempt you in ways that you've never been tempted before, and I have no way to aid you except to warn you that the, the power to fix your mistakes is a power that is nearly impossible to resist. But I truly believe that together we can fix the wrongs of the past and we can make this world better in the process. I just want you to hear me out and then I'll release the girl and then I'll go with you in peace. So you're the cup. Let me do some quick calculations. According to my math, there's a 0% chance the boys don't wang this one up. It's the adventure zone. just the two of us um you don't have to use your character voice you just talk talk to me like clint for now okay um so merle you are standing in a space that feels kind of similar to the white space that you've you've found yourself in uh so many times whenever the loop resets but as you look around it it dawns on you that taco and magnus aren't here anymore it's just you and standing immediately in front of you is June, who is holding the temporal chalice. And already, she actually looks a bit more vital than than when you spoke to her just moments ago. Instead of this, like, um, you know, ninety year old woman, she looks like she's in her sixties or so. Nice, um, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Um, she is deep in concentration, and you realize it's because she is scanning through your memories. And, and those memories are being represented in a very real way everywhere around you. Um, it's almost like you're standing kind of in the holodeck, if you will, and and your life is flashing before your eyes as June kind of goes through your memories and you find yourselves in all of these different scenes as she rewinds the span of your life. So you see like the past few loops as she's scanning slowly at first and then you see your entrance your, your cannonball entrance into refuge, and then you see your time in Lucas's uh, laboratory, and she she slows down a bit there, and she nods, mm. and then she she rewinds a bit faster, and you're in Rockport, and then you're in Fandolin, and then you're in the years uh, preceding Fandolin and preceding the adventure that has been covered in this show, um, 
And and this brings us to our first of uh, a few pot of a few questions that I want to ask all of you guys to kind of flesh out your characters a little bit. And that is, um, how, how did Merle come to be an adventurer? Like, I, I, I want to get into like how he became a man of the cloth a little bit later. But like, how, how did you decide to sort of um, be, be, become an adventurer? Is this is this like your first real quest? Were you a a, a, a priest of fortune before that like what's how, how did merle get into this adventuring life no this was not this was not the first no um really had a terrible home life uh okay he was in a loveless marriage oh interesting yeah all right i mean it was it was ugly the uh, what was what was his husband or wife's name uh hecuba it was hecuba okay it was, uh, you know, dwarves' marriages are usually arranged marriages, you know, because we're really into this whole, you know, keeping the gene pool, you know, sure, sure, dwarf sure. pure. Were you sort of secluded mountain dwarves or like hill hill dwarves? More like, you know, we were, civilized no, human like. We were beach dwarves. We lived uh, on the beach. <laughs> Uh, we had a, we had a, you would call it a cottage, but to us it was home. All right. That is unconventional, but so are so many things. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and here I, I came up with this great beach property yeah. and it still wasn't enough. How did this loveless marriage to Hecuba result in you becoming an adventurer? I, uh, I ran down to the, the dwarf store. I, I said, I'm, I'm going out for smokes. Right. She said, I, what do I care and she said it just like that. And get my lotto tickets. She she said that. So okay. So is Merle still legally married? I with my religious poll, in sure. my mind, I had it annulled, but not on paper. Legally, Hecuba is still floating around. Okay, this there. is interesting uh, because um, if she ever found me, she would cut me. Woo. Okay, so you're kind of a man on you're you're kind of a dwarf on dwarf on the run. On, I'm a running a little dwarf. bit. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, interesting. So yeah, then then while June is scanning uh, past past Fandolin, uh, past sort of your meeting the the other boys, uh, she sort of uh, finds a, a few years of your nomadic lifestyle. Uh, she scans to your uh, humble but cozy beach cottage that you shared with Hecuba. Uh, she rewinds even further to, oh, you're there on your arranged wedding day, and it was a pretty horrible oh, God, event, I'm imagining. Terrible. The catering okay. was horrible. Yeah, sure. Ugh, the deviled eggs went bad. Uh, and so you rewind past that, and um, she, she's scanning a bit faster now. And these these memories, these like this holodeck chamber of memories that you are standing in, sometimes like the picture gets a little bit blurrier where your your memories falter a bit. Some bits that like you just can't remember at all are are just complete static, right? Okay. Um and as she rewinds past your your wedding day and a a few of the years before that, she actually hits a point where there's a lot of static. Like a a really really long unbroken period that june is just scanning through more and more quickly and she's frowning um and she's she seems like she's unsure whether this error is on your side or hers but there's like a long span of time that's just not there but then all of a sudden your your memories do pop back into view as she rewinds beyond that static and you see yourself as 
a, a younger man. Uh, and you see the time where you first sort of join the cloth, which brings me to my next question. Dwarf, by How the did way. You... Dwarf, not, not man. Dwarf. Oh, sorry. Dwarf. A young dwarf. And you, 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 you join the cloth. That, that leads me to my next question, which is, um, how did you convert to become a follower of Pan? Um, well, uh, my, uh, my dad was a, uh, a Panite. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And always, I mean, it was, wow. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, going to pan service, going to pan sure. service, you know. And I met, I've always kind of envisioned pan followers and like druids being, I mean, they're basically the same thing, just kind of being buds and like living in like a hippie commune yeah. or something yeah, that, like that. That's exactly what it was. All the nature crap and, you know, all the trees, animals, birds. Oh, God and you know so you didn't like you didn't like growing up in the comedy. Well, no, I mean I I had to go and you know I I, I didn't want to get grounded. Um, so yeah, I went along and I went to you know every summer pan camp. You know, um, you know, I'll going along on the pan retreats, but it was really sure. it was really you know really forced down my my throat i i didn't i didn't dig it i i well, but i had to you know you had to it's your old man you got to act like you sure. know you want to be there so it seems it, it seems like merle is strong in his faith in pan now was there something that happened that sort of awoke that in him or is it has it always been sort of just like second second nature like he it's just sort of a thing that he he does without feeling especially strongly about well it. I, the thing is uh when things are going good it's easy to be a you know a panist okay uh you know it's, oh yeah oh this is good yeah i got away you know oh yeah i'm living my life and then you know all of a sudden, I was in the middle of it. And it's easy to be a panist when life is good because, sure. it, you know, it, let, let's face it. If you're going to worship a nature god and everything around you is trees and rocks and animals and shit, I mean, it's, it's what, what else are you going to think? It's not like, you know, I was walking through cities or any of that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. So it's, and when you're, you know. So, so this, this related, I, I think this is super duper interesting because it seems like this. Uh, you following Pan was inherited and not so much came as like a moment of divine inspiration. So like, oh, no, 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 Lord, no. Okay. It, it, it was a good way to meet girls, to be honest with you. Okay. Because all the, the girls the, in, the, in the Pan choir and, you know. Sure, sure. With their Pan flutes. It, it sort of paints the rest of the adventure that's happened in like a really interesting light of you're not this super hardcore devout dude as much as you are like kind of still exploring well, yeah. What it means. Well, to I be tried a to s switch to you know Ismicism, but my sure. damn finger fell off. Okay, yeah. Then you then you rewind your your uh, time, sort of growing up as a moody uh, uh, twenty something and a moody teen in this commune, and you sort of hit the end of the end of the track. And June, um, fast forwards back through that that early adulthood period, back through that long, long, long static. And uh, fast forwards back into the past year. And in fact, you know exactly the day that she stops at because uh, this, this 
uh, projection stops and you find yourself in the middle of a familiar and disturbing scene. And I should point out at this point that what you're seeing here is in third person, for lack of a better term. Like you see yourself. Um, you are sort of standing there, Ghost of Christmas Past style, alongside June and and the Chalice, as you look at this scene. And she, uh, June, finally speaks up after scanning through your life for a really long time, and she says, um, "You've lived a fairly charmed life, Merle High Church, and we currently stand at the exact moment of your worst and most fixable mistake." And you realize you're standing in Lucas's lab during the Crystal Kingdom arc, and you see yourself in your null suit, and you look dumbstruck. You're kind of facing yourself. And across the room is Noel and Taco and Magnus, who are chipping away at a frozen door, and floating immediately in front of you is a crystal shard, which has emerged from a rift in space-time. And you realize when you see that crystal, you look at yourself, you look at the, the, the projected version of yourself, you've still got both your arms. And you hear the voice of Pan, which you, you know to be the false voice of Pan, and it's beseeching you to grab the crystal and save your friends, and, and this scene is just frozen in front of you. And she says, uh, you shouldn't have grabbed that crystal, Merle. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> if, you cl- if you claim me, Merle, and you use me, you can stop yourself from grabbing it. You can, you can be whole again, Merle. That is, that is my offer to you. Um, so Taco, you are with June and uh, the the temporal chalice in the white space, and uh, I've kind of described what the, what the scene is, so our radio audience didn't have to listen to it a second time. But but you're in this white space, um, and you are sort of scanning through the memories of of your life. Um, and at first, the scan is kind of going back day by day, and then week by week, and then month by month, and you're seeing sort of recent history play out all around you. Um, so, like, you're, you're, you're standing in the Crystal Kingdom lab uh, in the Cosmoscope. You're looking into the different planar mirrors, um, and then all of a sudden you're standing in front of a cherry blossom tree in the middle of Gold Cliff, and your arm is on Magnus's shoulder, and then you rewind a bit faster, and you're taking a job in a tavern in Fandolin, and you're you're just sort of scrolling back through the the history of your life, and where the where the memories are um, a little less memorable, uh, the things get a little bit blurrier. When it's things that you've just kind of forgotten, um, there's there's just static. Um, and while June is scrolling back through your life and, and through the years preceding the adventure that this podcast has sort of contained, she hits a long, long, long period of static that she seems to just sort of look around kind of quizzically during. And she's just like fast forwarding, or I, I should say rewinding faster and faster and faster. And then once she gets past this long static, the picture returns and you find yourself standing in your early adulthood and, and adolescence. Um, and... This brings me to my first question of like stuff I want to dive into with Taco, and that is how how did Taco first get into magic? Because I, I you've talked about how it was sort of a modifier for your cooking, so I guess I should also ask how like that that came how, how cooking came to be an interest of Taco's as well, like what the relationship is between those two, what he got into first, how he got into them. Taco had to uh, been on his own 
for for quite some time. He uh from the time he was about 12 years old on, he had uh uh had to sort of fend for himself. And the the way he would sort of make his living was by traveling, you know, with troops, sometimes performers, sometimes uh, uh, mercenaries, whatever, uh, different groups of, of people, anybody who was traveling because he never felt like he had any one place that he specifically belonged. Okay. Um, he didn't have any marketable skills. He did not fight. He did not uh, – uh, he was not – didn't fly, didn't crow. Didn't fly, didn't crow. <laughs> uh, didn't have a, a lot of marketable skills. So the way that he sort of – learned to uh uh uh, make himself useful was he would he would serve as as like the the chef okay of of the of the crew so that that would be the role that he would he would play and that would be sort of how he paid his way um with these these traveling crews um and and uh, you know the fact that he's so hesitant to get into danger is just sort of instinct from those days when he didn't have anybody sort of watching his back so he had to kind of fend for himself okay um and how did like how did magic get into it? Like, was there a, was there? Did he have some sort of teacher of the culinary arts? Did he go to cooking school? Did he go to like where where did Taco? That's how Taco like started cooking. Where did it's he get, when like, it, it was when the uh, uh, when he started doing the the cooking show when that when that opportunity came up, um, and he would go from town to town, uh, keeping with that traveling spirit. He would you know, go to town to town. He had his own sort of production going, but he noticed the the audiences were flagging. Um, and so, so he was looking for some way to sort of like make elevate his cooking and make it seem like something really special. So he started sort of messing with magic, but he obviously had no concrete training in it. Sure. And, and that's how things sort of broke bad. Is he, is he self-taught both in magic and cooking? Did he go to any sort of cooking school or magic school or anything like that? He learned cook. He did not. He learned cooking uh, from an aunt uh, of his that okay. he was very close to, and she she taught him cooking. The magic he just picked up uh, out of whatever books and and stuff he'd strung along. When you're on the road like that, you know you pick up uh, little things here and there. He had traveled with wizards a couple of times and learned very small things, but he basically knew just enough to be dangerous uh, when when we got started. Okay, interesting. All right, so all right, so while. While June is sort of scrolling through your early adulthood, she she got past this long period of of static where you just couldn't see anything, right? She she's going through this period where you're you're traveling with these different caravans and making yourself useful while cooking. Um, and and while like th- those days were probably hard, those were probably really difficult days uh, of you know just just scraping by and and doing everything in your power to like stay on board these caravans where you had any you know small amount of safety uh, that you could grasp onto while you're looking through these memories and like seeing yourself like inside of a a a, a caravan and like doing some doing some cooking in there there's some there is something about the memory that's like a little bit off like there's something it's almost like there's parts of it that are a little bit staticky. Like as you look around you can't see the whole picture. And while when June sees that, sees this like distortion of this memory, she kind of sighs, um, and then uh, fast fast forwards back through your life, back through that long period of static, um, and into uh, the years preceding this this adventure. Somewhere within, like a, uh, uh, I want to say about, I forget the timeline that we established in an earlier episode. I think it was six years ago, uh, before uh, this this 
the the current episode that we're on now. Okay. Uh, at the the fateful final episode of Sizzle It Up with Taco, and here, uh, she 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 stops fast forwarding, and the scene stops, and you see you see the town of Glamour Springs, um, and you see your stagecoach. Uh, and it's been kind of deployed like the, 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 there's a little window, um, where, where you are, are doing all of your cooking. Uh, the stagecoach is nice and big and it's got all the cooking instruments you could possibly need. There's like a little oven in there that sort of pops out of the back of the stagecoach, uh, for, for ventilation. There's a, a, a stovetop where you're doing some stuff. There's a big long counter for, for prep and, and, and where you do all your magic. Um, and... Uh, the first question I want to ask about this scene is how many people were in attendance at this final show in the town of Glamour Springs? Uh, I have, I may have given the only thing that's fucking me up, Griff, is I don't I don't remember if I've given these details before. I don't think you have. And, and, and if, they, if if you have, that's fine. Like listeners, you'll have to forgive us. It's we've been doing this podcast over the course of two years. So if we go against canon, what whatever. But I think I, I don't know that we've ever talked Pretend about. Pretend I'm past. like a new art, a new writer. Sure, over on the taco story. But not only that, like we've done such a bad job of diving into our characters' backstories. I see no reason why we can't sort of more firmly establish them now. So how many people were in attendance at this show? There were forty. Forty people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just sort of a mix of 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 folks. Uh, there was always there's always a few sort of uh, a, a few teens that had nothing better to do okay. um usually the older people in the village uh were usually the biggest audience um a lot of you know uh housewives and house husbands that that looked after the home and were looking to elevate their cooking to, i see i got you for their special someone um, um and then there was always you know a few looky lose that just were looking for a free show and and free food like i'm i'm imagining glamour springs as being kind of a frontier town mm-hmm. um and I think the people there really love you. Like you've you've probably been through here a couple times. Yeah. Um. And and forty is probably a pretty big crowd. Um. And and so uh, uh like you you got a decent sized turnout here. And I think a lot of people maybe just show up for the free samples, um, because it's 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 they're one of the better off uh frontier towns. But I mean, there's still a lot of poverty. So a lot of people just are like, oh hey, free free food, free food right. and also a great show. What what's the show like? What's sizzle it up like? Like. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of talking, honestly, as the years went on, there was a lot more sort of bloviating. Um, Taco does a lot of things to show off his cooking prowess. Like he'll, he'll pour, uh, like he'll say this recipe calls for like a teaspoon of Worcestershire and then he'll pour some Worcestershire in his hand and he'll be like, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, a lot of people wonder how I can do that and and be so inaccurate. But look, and then he'll pour some Worcestershire in his hand and then pour it into a teaspoon. It's like exact. He's like, <laughs> that's really gross, though. It's you so just gross. poured Worcestershire on your hand. The fit, no, the the hand Worcestershire. I mean, his hands are clean. Like okay. that's how chefs work. Come I guess on. so. No, no, I don't think chefs pour liquid ingredients into their hands before they add them to the. Well, yeah, but like if they're maybe making meatballs or something, they'll use okay, their hands. Um, Worked with clean hands. He's not a savage. Uh. So, I want to ask another question, um, and this is something we've definitely never talked about. Was this a one-man operation? Was it just you and a traveling stagecoach, or did you have help with with Sizzle It Up, or was it just you? No, I had a a driver, okay. who, well, sort of a driver slash 
stage like a, manager, like a roadie. Roadie. What was their What was their name? Um, I gotta remember <laughs> their name because it. I I I knew them. It was weird. I knew them like yeah. The uh, back of my hand. Say Zed. Say Zed. Yeah. What S-A-Z-E-D. What is A Z E D? Say Zed. Say Zed is Say Zed. Uh, what is Say Zed? Say Zed is uh, he was a a. a Sort of my right hand man. Okay. He 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 thought I hung the moon, and uh and you know he learned some of the cooking from me, but mainly was just sort of there. He was sort of a combination of bodyguard and uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he 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 was like my 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 right hand guy. Okay, so you've been traveling with Say Zed for a long time, performing Sizzle It Up for for varying size crowds. Obviously, you've you've. You played the Underdark. That was probably a weird show, but that's where Ren sort of first encountered you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you you've traveled all all around the land, both you know playing playing bigger shows in towns like you know big citadels like Neverwinter, and then uh, these, these smaller sort of villages on the frontier. Um, and and your relationship with Seizen has has been pretty well. You've been teaching them. Uh, how to you've, you've been teaching him how to cook and and uh, he in turn has done a good good job you know keeping the trains running on time um, but your show's been growing in popularity and it, it's grown a lot actually in the last year and say Zed has wanted a little bit more responsibility and uh, a little bit more sort of featured placement. Um, say Zed has asked to do like a, uh, a spot on the show in, in a, a, the last, uh, couple months or so say Zed comes to you before each show and it's like, so you think I could, uh, you think I could do my stuff on, on this one? Just like a little, a little spot. I mean, I'll let you do, you can get the mise en place together and stuff, you know, but measure things out in the little cups and makes everything run smoothly. That's fine. Okay. While they're getting the mise en place together during those shows though, um, and I think it probably only happened a couple times. They would like turn around and hand you the thing and then like dish out a little catchphrase to the audience, like shop some stuff out, like test it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of floating, trying to build their brand. They're trying that. to build their brand. And then like I think after a couple shows, Say Zed says, like, look, listen, I've I've really enjoyed working with you, and I think I think what would be great is if we could co host this thing. Just like shared credit, put your name's up on the the stagecoach and it looks awesome. But what do you think about Sizzle It Up with Taco and Say Zed? Just like shared credit, 50-50 split, and, you know, we share the workload and it, it, we share the share the glory, you know, and we, we just – what do you think? Well, that is so groovy. I love that. It trips off the tongue, you know. But um, I got all these T-shirts that already say Sizzle Up with Taco. I can and- get new T-shirts. I, can, you know, I printed those T-shirts for you. Yo, so I can, I can print out new T-shirts. That's a bad business, say Zed. I, I would love to help you out, but it's just bad business. Sizzle It Up with Taco is the brand. I mean, we'd have to throw all these in the in the junk pile. And you can't ride on them. There's not enough puffy paint in the world for all these T-shirts to add say Zed on there. Sorry. It's mainly a merch thing. A license, a merch, and the brand. You know, I've got the logo painted on the side of the uh, wagon already so i don't know I, I have my brand established i just don't think it it jives He's, he says that's like okay all right i get it i get it okay uh and do you get it because i don't want to keep having this conversation no it's locked in definitely i i got it taco and excellent says that's kind of dejected and goes back to cleaning cleaning up the stagecoach after a a particularly rambunctious show that you did so i think says that's kind of moody 
over the over the you know the next couple months um not as not as talkative um but between shows uh and this brings us to the final show at at glamour springs uh what are you what are you cooking meatballs always meatballs my famous meatballs okay well no, wait i no i can't cook meatballs because that that's a little taco like yeah it's ground beef in them and that would not be great uh i am making my 30 garlic clove chicken that's a lot of garlic cloves you know you would think so but you cook it so long (laughs) sure that you really you you lose a lot of the like the most pungence and the most heat but you definitely get that flavor deep down in it's a long it's a long cook it's a long cook um and you, you, I, you, I shouldn't doubt you because I bet Taco remembers this, like recipe, like the back of his hand, like over the next, you know, until today, probably every every day, Taco thinks about this recipe and thinks about the measurements and thinks about what they could have possibly screwed up so very very badly. So you're doing this flashy production. You're making your thirty garlic clove chicken, um, which which like all of your productions is sort of a, a combination of uh, a, an equal measure of advanced cooking techniques and transmutation magic and I think some of the latter is probably like unnecessary like transmuting yeah. sugar into salt when you had a big tub of tub of salt just like right there yes absolutely like taking the skin off the chicken and then transmuting the chicken into chicken with skin on it like just pointless just pointless shit pointless magic um. And so you finish the meal, and the audience has been wrapped this whole time, and you go to offer samples, and the the audience starts to walk towards your stagecoach, and time freezes. And you remember what happens next. Um, Everybody dies who eats that chicken. You're lucky that you didn't eat the chicken um to to taste it which is weird because normally you would sample the 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 food while you're cooking it um which i think could be leveraged as evidence against you um for whatever repercussions you face for for this 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 horrible event that happens um and that's the last time that says a little up with taco ever ever uh takes place but it hasn't happened yet in this scene time has been frozen and june sort of grabs you by the wrist, still holding the cup in her other hand, and she says, come with me. And she walks you behind the stagecoach to another smaller wagon that you towed um, alongside the stagecoach and used for storage. It's also where Cezed hung out most of the time. And she, you, you sort of pass through the wall of that smaller wagon, sitting inside on a small crate um, and sort of looking extremely nervous, like gripping his hair and looking staring intently down at the floor is Cezed and they're holding a bottle and there's an apothecary's note scrawled on its lid and you can see that this was a bottle full of arsenic and June says well I I guess this must come as some small relief right like all this time you thought your transmutation your your reckless magic is what killed the town of Glamour Springs in actuality, it was, you know, plain old jealousy, but still all those people died. And then she snaps her fingers and you're back at the stage and you see yourself about to hand out these samples. The people of this town died all the same and you fed them their death. And before I pose this question to you, what was the aftermath to this? 
Like, how did you, how, how are you not in, in prison right now? Did you escape? Were you tried? Were you, what happened? We ran. As soon as the first person got sick, I, I knew what was up. I thought I knew what had happened. Um, I thought I'd confused, I used to use the elderberry garnish, uh, and uh, I thought I had confused elderberries for um, th- that I had transmuted them basically into deadly nightshade because the, the berries look very familiar. Sure, and I would I wouldn't have noticed. Um, that's what I always assumed because anything else I I would have seen. But we ran as soon as the first person got sick. I told Zed to get in the driver's seat, and we just drove. We drove for two days straight before we stop to look back and i and i think at the first chance that he got like the first settlement you got to after that he abandoned me absolutely yeah i assume because he didn't want to be associated with somebody who could do something like that but in actuality it's it was something else but we're not there yet we're still at the wagon you're still about to hand out these samples she says this is the worst thing that ever happened taco in your life and you can fix it. If you claim me, none of this ever happened. Glamour Springs lives. Although not everybody in Glamour Springs died, right? Like it wasn't a town of 40, but still, that's a big, no. big chunk of people. And you can keep doing your, your cooking show and you won't have this, you won't have this horrible black mark on what is otherwise a heroic legacy. Take me, Taco. Take the cup and you can fix it all. And finally, we come to Magnus. Magnus, you're you're in this same white space with June and the temporal chalice, and June is scanning back through your own memories, um, and and you're sort of seeing them appear in in the white space around you. Um, and uh, she starts out kind of scanning slowly and and picks up the pace a little bit faster. So you see recent events like Roswell's sort of. Uh, a, a rapid expansion in the bank that just happened. Um, and then she rewinds a bit faster and you're standing in the core of Lucas's lab facing off against Legion. And then she rewinds a bit faster and you're using rail splitter to chop Trent the tree ant in half in the lobby of the Gold Cliff Trust. I don't remember any of this. Oh, it's definitely real. Okay. Uh, and then you're diving out of a glass walkway to an attack an ogre. Uh, in the test of initiation, and then you're you're in the years preceding the adventure, which June is watching intently and kind of taking mental notes as she goes. Um, and then she rewinds a, a, a bit faster through the years preceding this adventure, and then she hits this long period of static. That like you you you've seen it kind of pop up a couple times like where where your memories are actually a little bit blurry they become literally blurry around you and you can't quite see them quite as well um, and the things that you've just forgotten are are they just disappear and are sort of this static and she hits this huge huge period of static um, and w- while she's rewinding quickly through it she says um, what what happened to you guys you're all missing time. Like a like a lot of time. Where where are where would this? What period is that? This is about. This would be about 
um, about 12 years before the adventure started, or about 12 years before where we are now, some, somewhere in that time frame, um, she, she's rewinding, and there's just like a lot of static, like a lot of it. She says, I guess it's not really important to what we're doing here. It's just like, it's weird, man. And then she gets past the static, and you see your sort of early adult life, and then she rewinds back into your adolescence. And this brings us to our first question that I want to ask you to kind of flesh out Magnus, um, which is how did Magnus become a rough boy? Like, do you remember when you first became kind of a, a, a burly man? Was there like a first time that you ever protected somebody maybe and and sort of led you down the the career path that you ended up on not the carpentry path necessarily but just sort of oh, the nature the, of magnus into the hero thing yeah into being like not a hero but just like a protector of people i mean there was a big event is that what you're talking about in the magnus backstory no but i think before that like when you're like a kid um there was a time in which uh i think probably the first thing magnus can remember as far as like being a protector was seeing some um bullies picking on a mongrel dog and you know pulling its tail throwing rocks at it and he stood between the bullies and the dog um and i mean they outnumbered him three to one the dog was able to get away but he got beaten up pretty bad and then no but he protected the dog and the dog was able to you know run away and get away into the woods did magnus get his ass kicked oh so bad so bad. I mean, he was like 10, and all the boys were like 13 to 14 around him. Did Magnus ever f- see the dog again? or No, he, I mean, he was too afraid of humans at that point. He never saw the dog again, but he knew it was the right thing to do. And That's so after that, he started, you know, toughening up, and he didn't, he didn't like seeing someone weaker than him get hurt. I'm going to okay. choke up through this whole thing, by the way. No, yeah, we're going to get... We're I'm get, deeply connected to Magnus. And we're going to have some some big emojis. Sense. Travis, by the way, did a really great Q&A session on, on Twitter the other day talking about some some Magnus story stuff that was really good. Um, so uh, she she sees that scene, and she goes, oh, that's really sweet, and keeps rewinding and uh, sort of hits the end of the tape, and then fast forward really quickly past that scene past you know the rest of your early early adolescence past the long period of static and then uh into the years preceding uh your your adventure um and this scene that we're gonna stop at is about um uh it's about five or six years before the adventure began and you're standing you know where you're standing you're standing in a building that housed basically the happiest years of your life you are standing in your woodworking shop. You're in the Hammer and Tongs, mm-hmm. the pride of the Craftsman Corridor in the town of Raven's Roost. Yep. By the way, I'm repurposing a lot of backstory stuff that Travis has actually, that you wrote before we, did you write it before we even started playing? Uh, Yeah, I think I wrote it before we recorded episode one. It's a shame that it's taken 48 fucking episodes yeah. to get here, but here we are. Um. And you see yourself. You, you're, you're watching the scene in third person. Your, your sideburns are a couple inches shorter and better kempt than your current facial hair configuration. But you see yourself. You're polishing a beautiful black oak rocking chair um, that you, you fondly remember to this day. It's a beautiful chair. Beautiful grain in this wood. 
Um, and sitting at a desk behind you, pouring over some order forms with a reading glass, is your mentor, the 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 tongs to your hammer. Um, what was his name? Oh, shit. Did I give him a name? Because I can't remember now. Nope. Okay. Stephen Waxman. Okay. Stephen Waxman. Steve? Just yeah. Stephen. Stephen. I named my fish after him. That's very, very sweet. Um, he's, he's, he is an older man. Can you think of any other sort of descriptors for Steve? Uh, he has a small, uh, you know, it was a well-tended to, so it healed well, but a small kind of C-shaped crescent scar, uh, next to his right eye. Um, you know, a little goatee, kind of scraggly, like he wasn't fully grown out, but he wears it well. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say portly, but like, you know, he's up there in years, he's, but underneath you can tell there's tons of muscle. Um, okay. that he's got kind of like a blacksmith build to him. Like you look at him and you're like, yeah, oh, that's a dude who could like swing a hammer. That's a guy who could like carry some logs. That's a guy who could do some work. So he's sort of a general craftsman then it sounds like, um, who took you into his shop. Um, and you showed such a like proficiency for carpentry under, un- while, while serving as an apprentice to him that he took you on as a partner and sort of built this brand. I mean, more than and, anything, he was really more of a dad. I mean, let's yeah, be honest, sure. like, partner, yes, but, like, taught Magnus father, everything father he figure. knew. Father figure, yeah. Um, and your your shop has been especially busy in the past few months, as have a lot of shops here in the Craftsman Corridor of Raven's Roost, um, which you named it, and now I'm envisioning it as a town uh, that is named Raven's Roost because it's literally built on these natural rock formations, like almost like stone stone pillars somewhere with these long, really sturdy bridges uh, that I think the craftsmen of the city uh, are, it's like the, their pride and joy uh, that they built connecting the different columns of, of that, that hold Raven's roof, a roost aloft in the sky. Um, and each but, of but the columns th- is pretty much designated for different things. This yeah. It's is, like there's know, the, the crafts, crafts the, cr- a, yeah. the craftsman corridor, the, Right, more of a residential yeah. district, yeah. So, um, your the the Craftsman Quarter, like all the shops, have been so busy because uh, since since the blockade broke, and the Mad Governor Kalen was ousted, and we've touched on this a little bit before, um, and you 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 know all about that that rebellion uh, against the Mad Governor Kalen because you at one point kind of led it, yeah. And I'm wondering if you can sort of. Give me sort of a brief summary of like why Governor Kalen was such a shithead, how you became involved with that rebellion, and how you became its leader. Well, I mean, it's it's an old story. I think that most people are familiar with the the convention of you know the despot who everybody kind of like just accepts for a while is the way that they are, but then their desire for power and you know the lack of limitations. And their sure. perceived lack of limitations starts to grow to a point where you can no longer stand it. Um, and, you know, for Magnus, it wasn't about power or glory. It was his duty. It was just a thing that it was. To it was, lit- to, to put a nice little bow on it, the big fucking bully. Yeah, he was just, he was a bully. And he was picking on the weak. And Magnus just can't stand that. Um, and so he did what he needed to do because he needed to do it. Um, and then it was all done. He was happy to return to a quiet life. It was all that he ever wanted. He didn't want to be a hero. It wasn't his desire. It's fucking so easy to draw a line from point A to point B here of how 
just of the way that like your character your the build the like in-game mechanics of magnus like i could see magnus sort of forming this rebellion of other sort of craftsmen right because soldiers would be on on Kalen's side, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, using his fucking rustic hospitality, like yeah, using I mean, his folksy charm. We're talking like basically the way that America fought the British in the Revolution, you know, fighting okay. from the trees and on a on a smaller scale. I mean, we're talking about a city, but like a big a big city, like a yeah. a, a decent sized city. Okay, um, and we also so had the height advantage, you know, Ravens Roost. We have the lay of the land. We know the sure. areas, and we were able to drive them back. So you. You deposed the governor, um, but the mad governor Kalen lived. Well, how did that happen? Did he escape? Did you show? Did you grant clemency to to Kalen, and then they 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 disappeared? Because no, no matter what, no matter what happened, we've sort of established that this guy's still out there somewhere. So you didn't kill him. Basically, what um, happened was, I mean, it reached a point where the victory, like it was clear who had won, and his forces stood down. And, okay. you know, it wasn't – we weren't doing it because we wanted to kill everybody. We were doing it because we wanted to defend sure. the, the country. So, like, once the battle was won, the fight was over, and we thought that that was it. You know, like, he had clearly lost. He, like, his forces were, you know, were demolished, and you, his you base was weakened. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we were like, okay. okay, we proved our point. We made it clear. You know, everything's done now. That was it. And – it for for three months, three very successful, very happy months for you. That seemed to be the case. Like you, nobody, nobody even talked about this fucking guy anymore. It was like you, you so completely routed him that like his very legacy was was gone. Um, so like so fruitful and happy was the city of Ravens Roost. Um, because of what you did. Um, and so it's been three months. Things have calmed down. Your shop is super busy. Your renown as a carpenter has grown because I think it probably got pretty conflated with folk hero Magnus Burnsides uh, that people were like, well, that dude fucking saved our town, so I've got to get a coffee table from him. Yeah. I mean, um, and also, the coffee tables are damn fine. No, they're really, really good. That's the other thing. Like, you're fucking super good at carpentry. And in fact, today, you are submitting this beautiful black oak rocking chair at the Continental Craftsman Showcase, which yep. is an interdisciplinary competition held in Neverwinter, which is about a 10 days ride from Raven's Roost. And with this chair, like you're, it's a shoe, and you're gonna win the the woodworking small projects category pretty handily. Well, if I um, did, like, and, I, and Magnus is very excited because like this is his chance to earn the title Master Carpenter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. up till now, everyone has known, but it hasn't been official. But like with yeah. this award, it's pretty cemented. You know. And as you're looking, as you're working on this chair, Stephen is just like blown away. He like looks up occasionally from the desk, like. Uh, give me a carpentry term that you would use for a chair. Like he compliments something about the chair. What is it? He he compliments uh the spun the spindles. He compliments you know he just compliments how all the joints are formed and fashioned. Yeah, and then I think he said, and then I think he says that's the chair smells good. How did you do that? Uh, well, uh, I worked in uh, a lavender polish uh before the final lacquer. Uh, to give it a nice uh, kind of aromatic, when you're trying to put a baby to sleep, sure. uh, you want it to be pleasant for all the senses. Uh, rocking a child, singing to the child, and also a pleasant lavender smell. You're describing the smell of your chair to your 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 teacher, and it's the afternoon of your departure to the to this um, 
Continental Craftsman Showcase. Uh, and uh, just as you put the finishing touches on this chair, the bell hanging over the entryway into the hammer and tongs rings, and enter Julia. And can you tell me, like, tell me about Julia? Like, Julia is, we've talked, you've, you've talked about, or I don't know if, if you've talked about, but in your backstory, she is the daughter of, of Stephen. Uh, and the two of you are married or just together? Yes. or what's... We are married very recently. Okay. Um, shortly you wanted after to wait the... until after the rebellion. Okay. Yeah, shortly after the rebellion. Uh, we got married in a gazebo that Magnus built himself. Jesus, um, dude. And she's the most beautiful woman Magnus has okay. ever seen. I, I'm not, Griffin, let me ask too. As all this is playing back, is present day Magnus watching this in third person? Oh yeah, but in in third person, not first person. You're not you you are not this Magnus making this chair, looking at your wife as she comes into. The I just want to make third a third person. Like when Magnus sees Julia, present day Magnus, it just wrecks him. Okay, it is a gut punch. Um, June, June holding the cup doesn't like make a move to help you out. She yeah. is she is watching the scene intently. I'm kind of curious to see what happens next. So she she walks in and um she plops down a few orders on the desk that Steven's working on, like a lot of orders. Um like so much so that they were kind of cumbersome for her to carry into the room and she plops down in the rocking chair and is sort of um admiring your handiwork and she says um this chair smells like grandma's <laughs> kind of like also making fun of you, like kind of antagonizing you kind of playfully. Um, and uh, the two of you just like have a, a regular conversation. Like it is not, this scene is not, it is memorable to you now, but in the moment, like it, you weren't thinking like, I'm going to remember everything about this moment while it was happening. Cause that's just the way that things go sometimes. And she motions you towards the door um, and outside on the street, she is ready to cart for your departure. And you, you give Stephen a, a, a hearty handshake, and you give Julia a, a hug and kiss goodbye. Do you do you remember the last thing you said? I said I love you, Jules. And you sling this this chair carefully. It's it's wrapped, but you put the chair over your back and you put your hand on the doorknob, and the scene freezes. And. Finally, uh, June talks, and she says, Two days after your departure, Kaylin returned to Raven's Roost, and operating from a mindset of, if I can't have this city, nobody can, he bombs the support column for the Craftsman Corridor, and 76 people died. Julia and your mentor included. Hammer and Tongs is quite literally shattered. And after the, the, the two ten days it takes to get to Neverwinter and back, most of the town's just kind of evacuated, sort of afraid of similar attacks on, on their columns. And today, Raven's Roost is just a ghost town. Magnus, you earned this happy ending. You worked so hard for it. It should have been yours. She says, but it hasn't happened yet. Not here, not yet, not now. If you claim me, you can still stop Kalen. You can save Julia. You can save Steven. You can save Raven's Roost. You can save this life that you earned. Take me, and we can do it together.
Hey everybody, this is Griffin McElroy, your Dungeon Master, your best friend, and your secondhand news. Thanks for listening to episode 48 of The Adventure Zone. Uh, we are... Uh, the, the next episode of The Adventure Zone is going to be the final episode of the, the 11th Hour's arc. Um, this is our post pen, penultimate, is that right? Post Penultimate, I think, uh, episode. And I'm really, really proud of how this arc turned out and really proud of my boys for how they played it. Um, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to be moving on to a new arc soon um, and probably into the end game really soon. So um, I, I, I'm very excited about that. I talked about that a, a bit, I think maybe in the last episode, and people got worried that we were going to end the podcast. We defo have plans to keep this podcast going after this campaign ends uh, that we have talked about. And there's some really exciting stuff that, that each of us have pitched. So uh, the end of this campaign is not going to be the end of the podcast. Please don't worry about that. Uh, it, this podcast is too much fun and way too rewarding and and the the listeners are way too cool for us to just bail on it so um yeah that's that's kind of a, a short brief on the future of the show and um not nothing but good stuff in store I want to thank everybody who's been tweeting about the show using the the Zonecast hashtag. If you do that, you may end up as a character in an arc, and uh, we're about to start up a new one soon. Uh, so uh, around about now, over the next like month or so, is probably the t- well, not over the next month or so, because I'm going to be traveling and shooting a TV show in Huntington with my brothers, making them a Bim Bam show. Uh, but but soonish, I will be picking names for the next arc. So get in those tweets. We also just really appreciate you spreading the word about the show. We don't pay to advertise, so word of mouth is the only way that we have of uh, spreading the show. So if you really like the show uh you can really help us out just by telling a friend even if they're, they're not a big D person um just tell them hey i got this cool podcast i listen to maybe burn them a cd or just send them a link we really really appreciate it hello it's me the internet's travis mackra yes that's right powerful influencer travis mackra you know people are always asking me travis how did you become such a powerful influencer in the world well i'll let you in on my secret It's Squarespace. Yes, that's right. Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, or even your time. What? What influencer doesn't do that? I ask you. I'll wait. That's right. None of them. They all do that, and you can do it with Squarespace. Okay, here's uh, just as an aside, you can also use Squarespace even if you're uh, not an influencer, um, and even if the idea of being an influencer uh, makes you throw up a little bit in your mouth, don't worry, Squarespace is still useful. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. Start with the best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. With Squarespace scheduling, clients can quickly view your availability and book their own reservations, appointments, or classes, and you can sell products on an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools for you. So go to squarespace.com adventure for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code ADVENTURE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have an Aura frame here at our house, and we primarily use it to show pictures of our kids and the fun stuff that we do. And my favorite thing about it is that it's so easy to upload pictures on that as soon as we get home from doing something fun, we just immediately put the pictures up there so we don't forget to do it. You know, because I, I've tried, we try to do picture frames and stuff in the past, and then we never remember to put them on. But with Aura, it's so easy to load it up 
that it has become kind of a, a digital scrapbook more than anything else. So if you have been looking to get the pictures that are trapped in your phone and set them free in a way that other people can see them, might I recommend Aura Frames. They're stylish, they're easy to use, you're gonna love it. And it was named the number one digital picture frame by Wirecutter, and for a good reason. It's so easy to set up, and they have different frame options, all kinds. And the best part is it comes with unlimited storage. So, right now you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frames with code ADVENTURE. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code ADVENTURE. Terms and conditions apply. Chicago, we're coming to you. We're coming for you. We're coming at you. And we're also coming to C2E2, and we're doing live shows, all a bunch of stuff in April. April 24th, we're going to be doing My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is nearly sold out, and Taz, which is selling out fast. So do not wait. April 25th is Taz. April 24th is My Brother, My Brother and Me. April 26th through the 28th, we're doing C2E2, scheduled to be announced. You can get your C2E2 badges now, but you do not need a badge to attend the live shows. Tickets for those shows are on sale at bit.ly slash Tours. All the information is there. Go check it out. Also, we've got a newsletter in case you've been wondering what's the best way to keep up with our new tour dates and announcements and stuff like that. Go to bit.ly slash newsletter. And of course, check out all the merch over at macroymerch.com. A lot of great stuff. Fungalore sticker pack, um, naming of the year poster. Uh, we've got the little Sailor Man pin. And 10% of all proceeds this month go to the Foundation for Black Women's Wellness. So go check it out, macroymerch.com. And now back to the show. Got a personal message here for Leon, and it's from, let me make sure I read this correctly. Yes, it does in fact say Hosehead, which says, Hello, Leon. I am paying 10,000 pennies to have Griffin command you to stop trolling me by saying Taco dies or kills someone every two weeks. I hate you, but not really. Thanks for telling me about this amazing podcast. Heart your sister, who is apparently named Hosehead. You know, that's a really funny goof until it actually happens. Uh-oh. Uh, thanks thanks for listening. And Hosehead, I, I guess I hereby command you to stop, stop doing that. I got another message here for Connor, and it's from Hannah, who says, Connor, Griffin and I wanted to say happy belated birthday, and we love you. It's true, Connor. You're my best friend, the love of my life, and the only one I would ever agree to be player two with. Thank you for everything you do for me, and I hope your day is amazing as you are. Love, Hannah. P.S. You're too cute to poot. I agree with everything in this message, Connor. I want you, Hannah and I actually got together. This was a collabo project, and I'm really proud of how it turned out. Um, I want to thank the Max Fun Network for for letting us be a part of it. We just got back from doing a live show at Max Fun Con East in the Poconos, and it was super fun. Uh, the show went well. We had lots of uh, surprises, at least two surprises during the show that turned out being really, really fun. You will get to hear that episode uh, when we post it this winter after Travis and I have our babies and we need some stuff to, to fill out the feed. Um, I think we'll have like three or so episodes that will be kind of like holiday break specials uh, that will be going up at 
at our regular intervals, uh, and I'm really, really excited for those to go up. I'm especially super excited about the Boston show. I keep thinking about the fact that like most of y'all haven't heard it yet. It is maybe one of my favorite episodes ever, so so look forward to that. Uh, if you like our show, you can find all the shows we do at MacroyShows.com. We do like a gaggle of podcasts and video projects, and you can find our Twitter and our P.O. boxes and stuff there. Um, I'll plug mine. It's P.O. Box 66639, Austin, Texas, 78766. Uh, if you've ever wanted to send us something, then uh, that's that's my P.O. box. That's how you get in touch with me. Also, I just want to remind you one more time to go to theadventurezine.com and check out The Adventure Zine, uh, the, the crowdfunding page that's happening there. Um, you, you all have been completely amazing. You've raised $95,000 at the time that I'm recording this, and it'll probably be even higher, maybe over 100000 by the time the episode goes up. Um, and th- those crowdfunding efforts are going to create uh, an, a, a fan art book of the Adventure Zone, and the, the profits for the, the book uh, are going to go to Facing Hunger, which is a, a hunger relief charity in our hometown of Huntington, West Virginia. It is such a cool cause, and everybody who's chipped in is, is so great. Um, thanks again to, to Megan and Carrie for organizing this project and, and uh, spearheading it. And to all the artists for putting together an incredible book. And for everybody who's donated, uh, if you want to lock down a copy of the book, make sure that you go to theadventurezine.com and and secure a, a copy now and donate to a really great cause. One last thing, uh, like I mentioned before, we are going to be shooting our TV show for My Brother, My Brother, and Me in the Huntington uh, all month, basically. Um, and that shouldn't affect things, although we're going to have to record an episode all together um, while, while we're in town. Um, and it may go up late. We're going to try really, really hard to, to stay on schedule and get it up on the 22nd, but I, we don't really know what our, our, um, how, how much shooting we're going to be doing around then, how much time it's all going to be taken up. Um, so if we miss our, our targeted date of the 22nd by a day or two, I hope you will forgive us. Um, but I will try really hard to keep the trains running on time. So, uh, that being said, the next episode should be up on September 22nd. And uh, we will talk to you then. Bye. The three of you are back in the the Davy Lamp saloon version of the white space with sort of the shadowy figures um, occupying the bar. Um, and sitting in front of you is June, who by this point, I, th- I think just looks like a little girl again. Like she has reverted almost completely back to uh, the age that she was when she first got trapped in the bubble. Um, and... Uh, June says to all three of you, I need to lay out the rules for you because I feel like that's only fair. If you take the shot, I keep saying chalice. If you take the chalice, there are three rules that you have to follow. The first is that you cannot walk the path that you walked in this timeline. Specifically, there's going to be no joining the Bureau of Balance because the further you stay away from creating a paradox the easier your new timeline is going to be to maintain. And the second rule is that you forfeit your place in this timeline completely. There, there is no coming back if, if you take the chalice and cross over. And the third rule is the hardest rule, and it's the reason I've never successfully been able to change the past like this before. 
I'm going to create a new timeline for you, but you have to sustain it. And all that entails is that every single thing that happens in this new world we create, good and bad, you have to want it to happen or else the timeline won't hold and, and you'll be lost. Um, and with that, she uh, picks up the temporal chalice and places it in the middle of the table that all of you are sitting at. Uh, what's in it? Magic. Beer. No, there is there is there is nothing in it. Um, uh, it is it is just a, a very magic chalice that will let you fulfill the offer that June made to you. Uh, Taco Merle, I I assume that we all kind of just had. Similar, but different experiences. Uh, I had an apostrophe. Yeah, I thought that might be the case of things that we might be able to change if we were to pick up this cup. Yeah. Merle, same deal? You want to talk about it? Not really. Um, <laughs> soon. Soon. I'll I'll tell you all about it when this is done, but... I know my answer. I have a question. Um, are we like, can just one of us take it or only one of you? Only one of you can take it. Okay. 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 You might've included that in the rules. just, I'm just saying. Yeah. Next time you do this, <laughs> um, uh, whenever, whoever takes it is going to rewrite this timeline completely. And that's a trip. Only one person gets to make. Woo. I'm ready to give my answer, but I don't... Listen, boys. I know what my offer was, and I can only assume that yours was as powerful. So, I'm not gonna judge either one of you for whatever you say. Um... But my offer, the ability to go back and change that thing, it was everything... I I've wanted for a really long time. And it would mean like that there I wouldn't be there to help people who really needed help and save many 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 lives and I don't care because it's what I want. But it's not what Julia would want and I'm going to have to pass. Okay. So that's a pass. <laughs> from you um so would you say we have so we have two options is this correct yep it's a yes or no answer i know how i'm gonna vote how are you voting i'm not a big one for regrets i figure you'd make your best choices with the information at hand and you live with the consequences that's kind of a merle pearl to throw out to everybody so i'm gonna say thanks but no thanks little strange girl with a Chalice? Taco? Hmm. I mean, here's the thing for me. <laughs> here's where I'm at. The vision revealed to me was chill as hell. Here's how it shook out for Taco. <laughs> and we can get into this a bit more if you guys want. But as it turns out, remember the thing that I've spent so long feeling kind of bad about? Not super bad, but like pretty darn bad? Yeah. Get this. Not my fault. 
Like, I have nothing to change. I didn't do anything wrong. This is, it was a very chill vision for me. I'm feeling like amazing. And I feel no obligation to go back and change anything because it was like best possible. I'm in the best possible timeline for Taco personally, <laughs> just from my vantage point. It is very good for Taco. So, so it kind of sounds like it's a no all around cup lady. I would be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to make one more offer. She, she stands up from the table that you're sitting at and grabs the cup. And suddenly the table disappears and the bar disappears in like a wisp of smoke. And I just put in an order for chicken wings. (laughs) (laughs) And then sort of that same holodeck effect starts happening to all three of you. And it's going back to a memory that all three of you share. And the scene, the scene starts to sort of put itself together. And you're standing um, in, a, in a grassy plain. And um, there are a couple bodies. we can see a motorcade coming up over a hill. <laughs> yeah, there's a... <laughs> uh, no, there's, there's, there's a few bodies on the ground. And there are a couple of burned out wagons and um there is one wagon that is has fared a little bit better that has a cage in the back of it and inside of that cage is Kurtz the orc boy and you realize you're back at the very beginning of your adventure uh Gundren Rockseeker has claimed the the Phoenix Fire Gauntlet and is blazing a path towards Fandolin uh, at this very moment, Killian is with you, uh, and you've just taken care of these uh, of, of these uh, slavers uh, who took over this, who, who burned down this orc caravan and imprisoned uh, Kurtz, the orc boy, who you freed and ended up shooting Gundren and setting him off, destroying Fandolin. But you haven't let Kurtz out yet, and you're you're standing in front of the cage, and. Uh, and, and June says, this is the last offer I, I have to make. It's the last thing I can think of that the three of you could fix. You free Kurtz, and Kurtz, in an act of vengeance, uh, sets off a series of events that destroys Fandolin. You can stop this from happening if you just don't let him out of the cage. It's my last offer, and... Will any of you reconsider? Uh, um, well, this one's tougher, right? Because this was this was our fault. This <laughs> yeah, is hand, our bad one hundred percent. Down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. kind of hard to to shift the blame on this one. Uh, but well, we I mean, didn't know. We, we had could the best shift it on Kurtz, like f that dude, sure. right? Yeah, Kurtz. I mean. We wrote the check and Kurt cashed it. Yeah, that's true. You no, know, blowing up Fandolin was kind of our signature move, though. Right, it was a very explosive beginning. Yeah, I mean, uh, really they did kind of establish the, a pattern. Elevated the drama. Mm. Uh, she's, she says, um, <sighs> it sounds like it was kind of a maybe a cool moment for you. Let me just show you something really quick. And oh, then no, she no. walks you... Uh, she doesn't, you don't walk, you're just all of a sudden inside of the, the, 
uh, big tavern in Phandalin, and you're you're you see Gundren in this tavern, and he's uh, this this scene is frozen, and he's got these like uh, whips of flame coming off of him, um, and then all of a sudden you're in the storeroom of this tavern in Phandalin, um, and you see some people like huddled for you know hiding in fear from Gundren, and you see a uh, a halfling woman with red hair. Uh, who is uh, she's holding a barrel of uh, of 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 booze from Red Cheek Farms, and you realize it's Noel. Um, oh, yeah, but at the same time, can you show us Rockport if we didn't stop the train? Can you show us the world if we didn't stop the pink tourmaline from taking over? Ooh. Can you show us all of that? This is the only offer I can make to you. Yeah, but like the, you're showing us the one thing we can change and not the stuff that we did change. <sighs> is, a, is, Barry, is Barry Blue Jeans one of the people huddled in there with us? Uh, Barry Blue Jeans is actually out in the bar trying to calm, calm Gundren down. <sighs> That's so Barry. But you see I'm, Barry Blue Jeans, Tom Arnold looking ass, um, and his blue, <laughs> and his blue, blue denim pants. Um, before he was before there, he was incinerated. Is there any reason to think that? Is there any reason to think that we wouldn't do all that other stuff if we saved Fandolin? Well, yeah, she she said the rules. We got to stay away from the Bureau of Balance. We'd never know about all that stuff. The Void Fish would knock us out. We like we wouldn't be able to join the Bureau. We would have to stay away from everything. We forfeit our place in the timeline. We'd save these people, but. We wouldn't save any of the others. Yeah, but certainly they have some competent people they could send, right? <laughs> Apparently I mean, we not. This. We were the first people to bring any item in. You know, fellas, I know this is big, and I know there's been a lot of death and destruction and other crap, but, you know, we've had some laughs. We've had some good times. Crashing trains and getting arms chopped off and... <laughs> You know, poisoning a lot of folks, and you know, I'd hate to lose the good times that we had. I, I'm still not tempted. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna still happy with well. the Merle life. Like Merle said, I, you know, I spent a lot of time living my life in regret, and I don't do that anymore. We got to keep moving forward towards good, not looking back at the bad. Listen, if I wasn't gonna use this to clean up a mess that was half my fault. I'm certainly not going to use it to clean up a mess that's one third my fault <laughs> at best. Um, plus, I can't say as I was much better off before. I mean, we've certainly helped some people. There's some people that have been, I would let's call it unhelped. I think <laughs> there's certainly along the way we've unhelped some folks. Uh, and you know what? Noel ended up with a new shiny robot body. So like an unkillable robot. I think that's an upgrade. Yeah, it could it, that could be significantly worse, really. Barry stings. Yeah, so that very one, one hurts. If we can get him into a robot eventually down the line, that would be super cool. They can't hear us, right? I mean, we're just like spectral. Uh, no, but June can hear you, and she looks really she looks really glum um, because she like is starting to realize that you not only are not going to take this offer, but that like you are, you are so unswayed by the offer that it doesn't seem like you're taking it seriously. And she's, she says like, 
Okay, well, I did my best. I have one question. What? If we pass on this, what happens to June? I told you if you I just wanted you to give you to give you my offer and if you listened I'd let her go. And I'll let her go because you've listened to my offer and you have abstained and since you're apparently so okay with the living with the consequences of your actions then I guess well I guess I'll leave you with this. And June and the cup disappear and time starts to start back up again. But it's moving painfully slowly. And you watch as a wall of fire consumes the stockroom of this tavern and everything and everyone inside of it. And then the scene changes and you're standing in the home of a young couple and you see a man cooking a, a stew in the kitchen and his partner, uh, she, she's reading a book in bed and... The wave of fire consumes this home as well. And then you see a woman God. playing with her dog in a garden. And you see a, a kind-looking blacksmith cleaning his shop after closing. And you see a, a young hedge wizard practicing his spells. And you you see all of these scenes of Fandolin citizens, which maybe out of spite, the, the chalice is forcing you to witness all of their destruction. And then you're standing at the epicenter, right in front of Gundren's blackened bones, his arm with the the gauntlet on it held up to the sky in the center of this roaring, expanding pillar of fire. And you are forced to watch Phandalin's end as you didn't see it before. And it is absolute and vicious and quick as it reduces the city to a perfect circle of black glass. And you're back at the top of Shaft B, and you see June in front of you, and she's young again. And she falls to her hands and knees, and the cup rolls away from her and falls off the platform and bounces once with a heavy clunk and lands perfectly at your feet. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. I'm Jesse Thorne, and I'm curious about Jonathan Van Ness and his show, Getting Curious. What were you most excited to learn something about? I was really excited about the Romanoffs. I was really excited. Why were you so excited about the Romanoffs? Well, because I've been obsessed. Well, thanks for listening to the episode. I'm just kidding. Because I've been obsessed with them since I was 11 from the movie Anastasia. Jonathan, what's a baby brain? It's a brain that's finally ready to explore. Getting Curious, a show for your baby brain. Download it wherever you get podcasts. Attention, Europe. This fall, Maximum Fun is bringing a bunch of your favorite podcasters to London. Catch Judge John Hodgman, International Waters, and Bullseye, all recording live episodes at the London Podcast Festival. We'll have fan meetups and we'll be joined on stage by a glittering array of celebrity guests. The London Podcast Festival runs September 22nd through 26th, and you can buy your tickets right now. Just go to MaximumFun.org. 